our reading. That might have been on, you've, you've been doing some reading. Let's begin. Poetry night rings through. He's got some white on him. Let's welcome Rebel Waste, or as I'd like to say, Rebel Scum. I was going to work dark. Look down, look down, don't look up. Read the words off the page and your eyes need not meet. For if they met, they would be met with judgments of anger, of hatred, of emptiness, eyes meeting like strangers out in the public space of the air between your sight lines, inundated with light waves and sound waves and particles. Look down, look down, don't look up. Listen now, I am your savior. Anxiety is my name and I give psychic powers. My conditioning protects your mind from verbal death squads and accusatory eyes. These unknowns sit or stand before you. They are like tripwires that will trigger traps of falling sticks and stones that will cripple you with their mute, isolating words. This makes them enemies in disguise. Hear now their true thoughts. They think you're stupid. They think you're weak. Your shaking form while reading makes you a weak little freak. And you are a weak little freak without me, for you would be deaf, dumb, and blind in naivety. For a weird, weird, weak little freak is what they think, like that border guard who asked you why you look so guilty. And you responded, because I get anxious when I cross the border. And you responded, why? Are you carrying anything you shouldn't? And you said, no, I just get anxious when I cross the border, leaving out the part that you don't trust anyone with that much power over your life. And he said, well, don't be. Like, I am a switch you can just turn on and off. If I was, why would I have an on position at all when I should just remain off at all times? For he is the only one allowed to be distrusting of what frightens him. For these are the true thoughts of strangers and friends. They think you are boring and bland, even behind fake voices of encouragement. They may pat you on the back in camaraderie as an equal, but it's just to leave a sticky note that says, kick me, even though you are already down, listen to me. I think you're grandstanding to look notable. Your word's only said to receive applause, and that accolade is obviously mandatory, like the love of parents or God. They think the words that you write and read are that of a neonate anarchist. Having spent zero time in thought, you are merely a rebellious child, fighting the parent powers that be, wailing and crying in the checkout line because you want that candy bar, the utopia of your own design that you lament you have not obtained from your grocery cart soapbox of societal disdain. Look down, look down, don't look up. Listen now, I am your savior. Anxiety is my name and I give psychic powers. These strangers belittle my existence by calling me paranoia, but do not fall for that trap, for in this revolution of your mind, my psychic truths are the climax to the war between your gentle soul and the invading soldiers of stranger tyrants. I am not paranoia. I'm America in this metaphor. I will win the Battle of Saratoga. Don't look up. Don't look up. Look down. I am your savior. Anxiety. So first part, my introduction. The second is kind of my thesis in a way. It's called, oh, that last one was called The True Thoughts of Strangers and Friends. But as you hopefully got, it's not really what I think. It's just sometimes what I often think. Uh, but the next one is called, I write, ha, the fool. It's really short. I write like I'm trying to contain the whole of existence painted black in an open jar of fireflies. For then the infinite gravity of imagination and the conscious flight of fleeting light prove me oh so foolish. 
As I pet a sleeping dog, I hear laughter at my wisdom in her little whimpered dreams. You're not going to get much of a break on this until the end. It's going to be kind of down there, and then hopefully I'll bring you back up. But, um, okay. This comes from my first book. It is untitled. I wrote it in 2009. Hyperventilating, yet there is no air. Energetic, yet slothful. Fate. Screaming love, hatred, loss. Boiling his blood like water. Destroy. Emotions welling up inside, demanding to give out. Beethoven without a quill, Da Vinci without a brush. Panic. His only artistic expression is yelling, the artistry of emotion, raw emotion exercised from his body, convulsing, mind racing, boots hitting concrete with all the force his body could expel, falling to the ground in tears, in thought, cursing and tears, cursing of the heart. Only tragedy could calm, only tragedy can calm. Failure. How can a human body deal with such power? It felt as if he was imploding and exploding at the same time, all the while aware that nothing was happening, nothing was changing, nothing was changing. As he walked down the driveway, he wanted to run, but was out of breath. He wanted to escape from life as if running would change some truth, some understanding in the world. He stopped, leaned against a tree. Feeling the steadfast nature of the trunk, the trunk and the roots, it is wet, it is raining, mud. Kneeling in mud, he did not care. Nothing mattered now. He was not. He was running for his life, not running from someone or something, but running from life, running from truth. Hopeless. His mind was working overtime, remembering once happy memories that are now like knives to the heart, like poison to the mind. He looked to the sky. The stars were out, at least. Yet there was an ominous nature to the sky. The moon was in full bloom, hidden by some clouds for a minute. The glow, distorted by the vaporized water, was a fitting illustration for his mind, for his life. To see a future would require seeing past the mist. To see hope, he would require a knife to cut the mist from his eyes. Back to reality. He slammed his fists against the immovable ground. His body shook with pain, with passion, yet not the passion of desire, passion of hate. He wanted to end it all. Knives, pills, rope, the only options he had had left were ways to end the mind and the pain and the hurt. What does it matter if I live or die? God has deserted me. My life is only lived for others. Even my selfishness now does not fulfill me any, does not fulfill any desire because I have no desire. The wind howled into his face, chilling his every cell. The resistance of the wind, only another metaphor for life. Life being pushed away by the mind, the mind purging all desire, all reason to live. Prayer does not work, although it's not meant to be a miracle cure future he cannot get away from himself he could not escape running again kicking rocks into the brush taking all the anger all the passion of hopelessness out on these inanimate objects who what when where why nothing makes sense nothing matters nothing is truth life does not truly give joy happiness is a lie created by life a facade to distract us from truth reaching his house his bed exhausted his body still erupting his insides felt like a baby crying in a vacuum nothing is heard but the longing and the yearning is still there 
Fuck it all. The only escape, the only release from death is pain. Death or unconsciousness, the false peace of sleep. If you are merciful, if you are truly God, bring me the falsehood. Falling into bed, still convulsing, still screaming on the inside, feeling the weight of depression crushes every feeling. All goodness and truth gone like the pouring of water onto the sidewalk in summer. Steam building up inside. Relief is not spelled R-O-L-A-I-D-S. Relief is spelled D-E-A-T-H. Nothing, silence, lost. I'm not there anymore, thankfully. Um, but if you recognize, I used the pronouns he and his. At the time, I didn't realize it. But now, looking back, I can see that at the time, I needed a way to pull myself out of that. So in a way, I was being able to look at it from what, what I was experiencing, I was able to look at it as someone else. And that's the way the he pronoun was used in that. This next one is a revisiting of that concept. It's called embrace and confrontation. Um, but it has a happy ending. He cries under the embrace of night, yet he must stifle the tears, or his mother will awaken with terror-stricken imaginings that he has slit his wrists, leaving a trail of blood from the kitchen to his locked bedroom door with the knives she should have locked away. Or with pills, he has made his stomach into a Kevorkian pharmacy, having taken a genocidal amount, the pills she should have taken away. Or he has hung himself from the chandelier, tears gasping for air, tears that would not be flowing if she had hung on his every breath, like she did when he was her first born all smiles baby dark hair pudgy cheeks wearing his father's baby clothes he does not want to subject his mother's mind to these horrors but the tears are running too hot they are burning through his pillow better to escape to the open night to the rooftop where the sound will be muffled by silence the climb is simple each step on the sandpaper tiles is cold but easy too easy the edge, a simple waltz to the sound of a frog's symphony. The ground, a simple flight at breakneck speed to enter an eternal trance into the, with the stillness of the open sky, the last his eyes would ever see. But not tonight, not any night for me. He descends safely to the ground and begins to trod the gravel driveway. It resembles the timeline of his past eight years. The potholes are like the depression of craters, the evidence of fiery meteor strikes. He, like the stagnant water that fills these holes after the nightly rain. Rain and tears. Gravel cuts into his hands. His blood flows to muddy the waters. The leaves have all left the fall till spring. The grass is as frozen as the stagnant pond, as frozen as his fears. The snow will fall in the coming months, white and searing, glaring into his eyes, burning in the memories of when his life would rise and breathe in a gasp of joy when he would make angels in the snow instead of wishing the snow would flood the earth, hiding the night sky from view, leaving no birds a place to perch and sing of hope where he can forget of the existence of rainbows and slowly suffocate under his blankets. Summer can come. When he no longer has any tears to shed, when his mother can sleep again with the memories of when her son could laugh. But he is a fool. He has been proven a false martyr by me, and I say, let us, so 
soar with the turbulence. Let us reap the rewards of fleeting time. Let us gaze upon the majesty of stars. Let us run like wolves with the coming dawn. Let us wave like grain to the passing sun till the noose around our necks is faded hung. And the ultimately purposeless death to end a purposeful life fills our coffins, graves, and crypts. And our memories demand us a crown and angels' wings and know now the serenity. We can be the imprints in the snow of memory. And the birds now can grace us with a symphony. Next one is from a book of poetry I did on trees and lessons we could learn. I wanted to go to this next because this poem deals with a, I'll explain afterwards, better to do that then. It's called Existence. Leaves coming from the branches, extending from the trunk, stretching out of the dirt, like asexual birthing from the seed. When trees think, do they see themselves as distinct parts that make up a whole? Or is the process of categorizing life solely a creature habit of those of us who inhale oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide? We may metaphorically see the roots that delve into the soil as umbilical cords connecting to Mother Earth. But do trees perform such omphaloskepsis, connecting themselves to the mystics of nature and existence? Perhaps our adventures into understanding should be balanced with adventures of experience. We are so concerned with attaining knowledge that we might miss the knowledge that's trying to attain us. I wanted to go to that one this I wanted to go to that one next because I want the train of this thought to be more um trying to figure out then what to do with the past that I've just shown. Um this whole set is kind of like a a path from inside and I want to get to the outside so that we can see the problems not just with ourselves but with everything around us as well. And now back to the event itself that precipitated the depression five years ago. Beauty so pure, brimming with power, eternally pure and ever-blooming flower. I look back on that time five years ago. Your dress was Robin's egg blue. Your shirt was snow white and glistening in the light. Your hair is of a light red hue. Your face is scattered with little red dots. Your face mirrored mine, except for your smile, which I had not. Over time, as we grew together, I inherited that smile you have from late-night walks in the back of a pickup truck, the place where we first held hands, from lying on our backs looking at the stars, inadvertent touch of skin on skin, sending shivers to the core, losing the integrity to stand, from midnight prayers for our purposeful passion, dreading the end of the day separation, from our childlike play on the swing sets of the local playground, from you wanting to enter my mind's battleground. From daily love letters to surprise, from our road trip to my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, what I thought was a mirror of our future side by side. I looked five years into the future five years ago. That life I glimpsed was drastically different than the life I was given. Five years ago, your dress was robin's egg blue, a sign, a shell for the new life I thought was to ensue. Five years into the future, I know very little about you. Do I desire a happen chance meeting in the light of the sun's gleaming? Honesty bids me plead guilty. Guilty of waking feelings long since put to bed. I rest in the truth that time heals all wounds, and if a happen chance meeting were to wake me from my bed, I would ask for forgiveness for my wrongful immaturity when I stood aside our relationship's deathbed. That was written, obviously, five years after the fact, so it's a 
it's a reflection on the past, which is kind of what that previous poem was trying to explain, is sometimes we miss things that we should have seen before. So now I am evolving out of myself to problems near at home, but not of my um, sadness or whatever. It's called, I would have been your big brother. You were but a twinkle of potential in time, like a star on the black canvas of the sky. Before I could know you, you were gone, your existence snuffed out in a fiery supernova of wailing and pain. You were a twinkle in my father's eye as I was 27 years ago, eyes that expressed sailing sadness for you. Have I lived my life as well as you could have? What would your name have been? I had thought you can't kill something till you give it name, but life has shown it's all the same. Death does not care if you are known or unknown, for death transcends identity. The only name it cares for is its own. You are a stranger of my past that I will never meet, yet in a sense we are closer than friends, for you have been my younger brother or sister. So what do I know of you? I know of the tears of sorrow memory shed for you by our mother, having carried your existence till the body mistook you for purgeable life that should not be birthed, the bow breaking before the cradle was even built, with you falling into the memories of those that knew you were possible. And, dear brother or sister, if you've been watching over us as a guardian angel, I apologize that I abused in selfishness your memory and potential by causing our mother to nearly shed tears of death over me had I carried out my first-person pronoun death threats on my third-person pronoun self. For I will kill you. I threatened myself, not three years ago. That's a long time. Forgive me, stranger sibling. Your living big brother is not perfect like your anamnesis. What else do I remember of you? I remember the ring box burial, not meant to be a casket, but meant to hold a band of covenant love. This purpose it was never meant to hold, like a child using her teddy bear to mop up the blood of her murdered parents. I would have been your big brother, yet all the same, I will continue to strive to be the best big brother you could have had. So in the concept of children, I write a lot about children because they're our future. <laughs> and uh, I feel like the crap that we give children and just how the world treats children is abhorrent. And this next poem kind of demonstrates that, though it doesn't go into the actual horrors that so often fill our TV screens. It's called On Knees. <sighs> Stray thought like a rock catches my glasses, breaking the frames. Lenses like convex history books fall to the ground, so now my vision of the future, always present, is blurred. I kneel to pick up the remnants of my 2020 vision. Sometimes our legs decide that we need to see through the eyes of children. The pebbles of the playground are superheated by the imagination as children cling to monkey bars, the fear of death clenched in fists, all their energy exerted to prevent falling and drowning in the fires of liquid stone. Their ladders lead them forward out of danger to a keep of slides and bridges that is sometimes a castle and sometimes a pirate ship. 
But our grown-up ladders only extend up or down. It is true that the higher we ascend, the greater our view of the world will be, but it will be easier to miss important details like the state of the terrain, for all around the heights we've reached, a fall would kill. For in our need to feel above it all, we have not fled the danger. Sometimes our legs decide that we need to see through the eyes of children. Nylon string held in tiny fingers like stitches holding in slang claret and tea. Drinks meant to calm the mind and body to a defined clearness or lucidity as to perception or understanding, freedom from indistinctness or ambiguity, clarity. The expanded sphere holds invisible flight like dreams, for dreams are held tightest in the hands of children. Yet when a rogue wind or stumble on the sidewalk curbs desire, causing dreams to fly out of grasp, we callously berate the tears that follow, for we have built up thick skins from years of abusing walls and women and men and children and eyes that we slash and blind with razors when we wear our hearts on our sleeves of skin. The eyes are the window to the soul rooted in the heart. Hearts broken when our dreams flew away, causing stitches to break, Opening wounds, blood flowing freely from lacerations like hematridosis. This makes us far from calm and understanding, so we berate the tears, saving ourselves from remembering what we've lost. But dreams are not balloons. They never float out of reach. Raise heads and see they are above. Raise hands and take hold of string holding dreams. Sometimes our legs decide that we need to see through the eyes of children. Thunderous booms are heard from beloved giants like cannons spitting words of hate in a war of wills or lightning striking fear. The crashing is heard, flying over the heads of innocent eyes, beholding the exchange comprehension may be lacking, but the tone is always understood, for even the blind can perceive darkness. And as the shouting grows, falling over the house, whining like chainsaws in Texas massacres, the innocent eyes become victims, losing sight of the light of the sky, past falling fists and projectile dishes like meteors and flying saucers, yelled calamities and alien technologies unfathomed by young minds. Only when the giants fall to their knees, arguments having wasted away their foundations like hurricanes against beach homes or houseboats, will they realize that they lost their I do beloved, and they will behold the whole... Behold the horrors they inflicted on their children, like entering a haunted house to see it's dedicated to their own sins. Sometimes our legs decide that we need to see through the eyes of children. And sometimes our legs cause us to stand up for the children, victims of neglect, abuse, exploitation, apathy, lovelessness, and or need. For many love sonograms more than children. The eyes of children help us see how the world should be, and our strength should protect children from how the world can be. Even in this bubble of trials and problems, uh, it's always good to have perspective, which is the title of this next poem, because despite the horrors you may see in your own lives, there will be someone who has dealt with more. If you were to explain bulimia to starving African children, their minds would explode, not with amazement, not from astonishment, not because their brain cells, unable to contain such ideas, were forced to evacuate their membranes. No. Their minds exploded when the child right next to them leveled their AK-47, sending metal through the air, through their minds, displacing pieces of skull and brain. 
Blood's displacement by metal, reminiscent of Archimedes, the crown's displacement of water was worth its weight in gold. But the displacement of blood and soul by the metal bullet will never be worth more than a glaring reminder that what we see as the crown of our problem lives is worth less than the vomit we project into the toilet bowls of our modern bathroom society. For their minds exploded from the rat-a-tat-tat of the tool of tyrants held in the arms of the child soldier right next to them. And so we travel now into war. This next one's called Cross the Bridges and Drown the Kids. The imagined tunes become real by the invented toll of the dead counted in our crossing of the bridge that is war. Connecting where we are and where we want to be, yet our travel has not made us truly free, for there always seems to be a bridge we just have to cross. The grass is greener, our envy is more righteous, this freedom is safer. The grass we can make greener if needed, while children of all races and religions drown in the rivers we cross. often forgotten um, as victims of war are soldiers. These next two poems are about soldiers. One about faithfulness, and the other one is about unfaithfulness. Their faithfulness in protecting us and our unfaithfulness for not being able to protect them when they get back. First one's called Semper Fi. It's the, um, if you don't know what that is, it's, the shortened version, but not really, of Semper Fidelis, which is always faithful, the code of the Marines. You are a good boy. He says I've done a great job. I found what he wanted. But master cannot find. Can he smell it? What is under the dirt is clear to me. But it is clear as dirt to him. He cannot smell to see. It's there. It's there. I sit and say and stay. I would follow you anywhere. Though I do not know why we are here, Master grabs the frightened boy, if he is frightened. Why is he here? What is so frightening about what the dirt can hide? The thing is invisible on the right. We are headed back. I am a good boy. Is the frightened boy also good? He was just crying and sitting and staying, but saying nothing. Of the hidden things, he was also frightened of what he cannot see. We make it back. The dirt here hides no fears. Master's tone is good. His hands dance happy on my fur. His face tastes like salt. Then comes the sound I cannot smell. Master is on the ground. He sits and stays. His tone is silent. If he were to run, I would run. But I lie down with my paw on his stagnant chest. He hears nothing. And nothing is silent, but all I hear is silence as the dust flies. He remains motionless. His body grows cold under my chin. My master's mouth and eyes are open yet empty. My whimper breaks our silence. Am I still a good boy? I hear his memory in the blood whisper. Goes back to the beginning. If you don't, if you didn't catch the story there, I, I saw um, an intro to NCIS where a soldier was saving a, a local kid from a, a minefield with the dog smelling the mines as he's going along. And then when he got back to the safety, he got shot. So I thought it would be a good thing to write a poem about.
The next one I have entitled Sedella Fret Mess. It has no meaning. It is merely Semper Fidelis backwards. Um, Kill our enemies for us and we will take your homes. Drop out of airplanes across enemy lines and we will fuck your brother or sister in your stead. Exchange your face for a skinless mask and limbs with prosthetics and we will take your children for you have no arms to hold them. Replace your dreams with nightmares and we will see your drug addiction between the lines of your cardboard sign. When you return from sleeping in the holes of foxes, we will rent you our finest refrigerator boxes. After we, you fight the wars we fund, we will not have the budget to pay for your recovery. If you give us your sight, hearing, and sanity, we won't even notice you till your shots are broadcast on our TVs. If you fight for freedom and the liberation from fascism, we will learn to fear the skin color and beards of our citizens. While we live by the code, while you live by the code, Semper Fidelis, in, la in far off lands, we, the people, will see no evil and hear no evil while chanting Sedella Fret Mess. For you may lead us one step forward, but we will always take three steps back. For you fight for the future, but we dwell and fight in the past. And we live and love, but spell them both backward. Got two more. Um, this next one's called A Mouthful of Serenity and Fireflies. It is sort of closing, but not quite. I just want to express feelings that I have through the poem. I feel intimately my failure at expressing what I am saying with words and black blood that sometimes coagulates into tar. Maybe if I communicated in light and music, the rocks and the stars would repeat and echo my scars scrawled into leaves and stone tablets and mirrors like drad cracks in the roadways I crawl, writing red ink memories into my hands and knees, scars meant to have a simple understanding like children playing tag on the playground. I guess what I want to say is I wish I could speak like I write. But if I wrote like I speak, it would be a padlock journal that after opening with some difficulty, you find, you find someone tried writing there once, only to give up, because they could not figure out which syllables and letters to paint together into an image that they felt was acceptable for their own eyes and what they believed is acceptable for yours. And I even wish I could write like I wish I could write. So even more so, I wish I could speak like I wish I could write. Then my tongue would dance in cursive, clothed in security and diction and serenity. I would love to be the finality and beauty of fireflies. Yet I wonder if fireflies look to the sky and breathe wishes like I do on stars. And this is the ending. Um, this poem is called The Cosmos Under My Blanket. If you would like to close your eyes, you can, because it's the best way to experience the writing of this piece. I pull my blanket over my head, reach out and take hold of the ends and beginnings of the universe. And with my hands, I pull all that exists together under my blanket. Here, I can touch every star, spin every galaxy on my little finger, blow every planet out of its orbit with a whisper. My brain becomes the hemispheres of the earth. I want not for air. I breathe space. I can see all that telescopes and astronomers can and cannot see or imagine. I am both what they see and cannot see. 
I love how the edges of space feel like the edges of my bed and how all the asteroids and meteors taste like pop rocks on my tongue. I can reach into every black hole, turning them inside out so I can see why gravity pulls and holds me so close like a frightened child. Do not fear, my little black hole. There's no need to hold so tightly. Call to me and I will answer your tears and fears and joys with a soft caress and handwritten letters like honeycomb. The stars around me are like the lights of Christmas Eve blinking on reflecting windows. Those that go out die, but are replaced by the rise of another to be wished upon underneath my blanket. I can hear all the wishes bouncing off the walls of mirrors at the edges of the galaxies. Why mirrors? Have you ever looked to the sky and wondered why you saw yourself amongst the stars? The earth is always trying to attain what I have garnered with cloth and isolation. I just cannot prove what I've written or seen, but know this, at the center of the universe you will find me conversing with the constellations of all the habited planets. Yes, there is more than one. For under my imagination all is made plain, my synapses birth constellations, and in turn they teach me the ways of the writer. Yes.